The last page has been turned in my most recent read, which I sadly can't talk about just yet because it's an arc of a book that isn't released until early next year. But let me reassure you that it is a great one. The book I am talking about today is one that I actually saw in a few posts over on Instagram and having read the blurb I just knew that I had to pick myself up a copy as I have discovered that I love the combination of food and murder. Yeah, that that sounds a bit weird, I acknowledge. So here I am, no spoilers, as opinion-filled as ever and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I head to Grafton Manor in Vermont to join a group of talented bakers as they take part in a competition to see who is the best, guaranteeing they aren't murdered first, of course, in The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. I have really been enjoying working my way through newer cosy crime novels of late and have actually been adding more to my shelves as I see books that inspire me and trust me I think I've added about seven in the last two weeks. For six amateur bakers competing in Bake Week is a dream come true but for the show's famous host Betsy Martin it's more than a competition it's her legacy As she welcomes contestants to her ancestral home, Grafton Manor, she's excited to discover who will have what it takes to win the ultimate prize, the golden spoon. Quickly, though, things start to go wrong. The contestants are jittery. They've heard strange noises in the manor at night. Betsy is irate. A new co-host has arrived, and he's out for her spotlight. Then the sabotage begins. At first, it's small, sugar switched for salt, a hob turned up too high. But then a body is discovered and everyone becomes a suspect because someone at Bake Week wants to settle old scores. The book starts with a phone call. Betsy Martin has been asked to check on the status of the baking tent as the weather has turned violent. Annoyed that she is being asked to do the grunt work on her own show, she walks into the tent and sees that there is a finished cake on display. But that isn't what has her attention. For when she realises that it's not chocolate dripping onto the floor, she looks up. And hanging above her is a dead body. She screams. So who is this dead body? How did it get there? Where exactly are we? The book then skips back in time two weeks to the announcement of a new season of Bake Week, the arrival of a new co-host, Archie Morris, and the six contestants who will be taking part. The contestants are Stella Velasquez, an ex-journalist who spent a year teaching herself to bake, so she is the most inexperienced competitor. Hannah Severson, a 21-year-old pie cook from small-town Minnesota who has big dreams. Gerald Baptiste, a maths teacher from New York who lives on precision. Pradyumna Das, a multimillionaire who made his money by creating and selling a parking space app. He finds baking to be a way to relax. Lottie Byrne, 
a retired nurse who wants to show Betsy Martin how good she is. Peter Geller, a construction and restoration worker who loves to bake for his family. The story then skips forward another 10 days to the night before the start of filming when all the contestants are arriving at Grafton Manor. Each of them have something to prove, whether it's to themselves or someone else, but their motives for entering are merely hinted at rather than outright declared. On her way to the welcome meal, Stella gets lost and suffers a serious panic attack that gives us an indication something is going on with her. She meets Lottie and the two bond for a moment over their lack of directional skills. Yeah, I know that one quite well. I couldn't make my way around the village I grew up in before heading to the dining room where everyone else has gathered. The meal is just a little bit awkward, as you expect an event to be when you don't know anyone and are trying to gauge what makes your competition tick. Betsy enjoys parading herself as Lady of the Manor, though she is a less than gracious host when her new colleague, Archie, shows his face. There is clearly no love lost between these two, though it's not clear if it's coming from Betsy or if they both don't like each other. The next day, filming starts and it is here when things begin to fall apart, or at least realisation begins to float to the surface. Everyone recognises Melanie, the assistant who interviewed them and gave them the good news about their place on the show. However, she has plans of her own. The first challenge is bread. They all have their plans and for a few moments you can't help but be reminded of the way that everyone anxiously hopes for a Paul Hollywood handshake on Great British Bake Off when they produce something amazing. Each contestant has to create two unique loaves of bread and they all tackle the project with gusto, coming up with creative and delicious-sounding recipes that they have practised over and over. Unfortunately for poor Peter, someone has it out for him. Maybe. He is confident, as he has a right to be, but all that fades to nothing when his bake is tasted and his bread is full of salt. Someone sabotaged his work table, replacing sugar with salt and completely destroying what he had planned. Peter is the first to go home and the competition continues, though strange things are happening in the manor at night, and Hannah is slowly but surely being seduced into Archie's bed. The young girl is easily influenced, and every time the famous and influential cook smiles at her, she envisages herself as the next big thing. She sees her name in lights beside his, his latest lady love, a successful baker. You can see the disappointment coming a mile off, but you just know she is going to get hurt. What exactly is Lottie doing at night? Pradyumna has seen her searching through the manor, trying to find a hidden staircase that she is sure has to exist, and she is only too happy to reveal part of her secret. But there are so many questions raised. What connection does she have with Grafton Manor? Why was she so desperate to get into Bake Week, so desperate that she has entered year after year since the competition began? And Betsy Martin, what pushes this woman to eliminate Lottie when she baked something so delicious? There are a lot of mysteries to be solved in the halls of Grafton Manor, and that's without revealing who the murder victim is and what motives they were to kill them. It 
It seems that excluding my subscription buys, which go without being said, many have been an impulse of late. And this book was no different. I read through it pretty quickly and the mystery was one that I managed to get into rather easily. The opening chapters were a little bit slow and full of exposition, as they tend to be. However, the further into the story I read, the more I realised that this was absolutely necessary. The book came out a few months ago, well, back in March actually, so it's weird that I hadn't heard of it until I saw it on a publisher's Instagram feed, especially after checking it out on Goodreads and seeing that unlike the latest Rosemary Schrager cosy crime novel that I reviewed in my last episode, it has attracted quite a number of reviews. I don't tend to check out books I'm reading on Goodreads before I've finished them, especially if they're cosy mysteries, purely because I really don't want to take the risk of finding out who done it. I mean, who does? The the worst conversation ever is, oh, are you reading that? You know, such and such did it. That's That's my idea of hell when I'm reading. I like the idea of not knowing anything about the plot apart from what happens to be revealed in the blurb, whether that's on the site where I purchased an ebook or on the back of the book itself. When it comes to reviews, I think that they can reveal quite a lot about how different we are as people. While one person could love the book without question and it becomes something they have to share with everyone they know, for others it could be the book they dislike beyond all reason. There are so many popular books, including classics like Pride and Prejudice and A Christmas Carol, that have fans and detractors. I know, I am one of them. Yeah, this is going to sound good, isn't it? I love Pride and Prejudice, though it did take me a long time to figure out that it was meant to be satire. However, I am not a fan of Dickens in any way or form. The fact that I had to read one of his longest novels, Dombey and Son, for my degree, probably aided in this dislike quite dramatically. Everyone has their likes and dislikes, and opinions of books can be divisive because they're so subjective. As always, I want to give you a balanced perspective, because hearing views from both ends of the spectrum is important. Sure, I may not share them, and they may have found something entirely different in the book when they read it, but that doesn't make their opinion or mine any less valid. This is purely how they felt about it when they read it. Of course, as I always say, don't let any of these reviews or my own, sway you into buying or not a book if you don't feel like it. Samantha gave the book just one star, and it was clear that she had a problem with a lot of the narrative. She said, I know this book is about baking. It literally takes place on a baking show. But my God, I did not need to know every detail of every step of every recipe. A lot of that information could have been taken out. I was so bored finding every excuse to put the book down. Literally 200 pages in and the murder finally happens. And this book is only 272 pages. What a snooze fest. Which is such a bummer because when I heard the author talk about it on a podcast, I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. The big reveal and ending were lacklustre. The way everything was done at the end and felt so rushed and didn't really make much sense to me. 
And every single one of these characters was unlikable except Lottie and Peter. That's it. The rest were so arrogant, whiny, and obnoxious. No thanks. I'm glad this book was so short, but it really could have been shorter. Literally nothing happened for 80% of the book. I've seen a few people note that the contestants in this are identical to certain ones on the Great British Baking Show, and I wouldn't know, but let's just say I really wouldn't be surprised. Do yourself a favour and pass on this one. Samantha's review focuses a lot on the length of the novel and how the revelation that there has been a murder takes until the end, until it's almost finished. This in itself leads me to believe that her review is about an earlier version of the book, because in the copy I read, the murder takes place early on, and much of the story is about the events that lead up to it. The book is also over 100 pages longer than the seemingly original arc version, which gives the reader a lot more opportunity to get to know the characters and the events that lead up to the eventual death of one of them. As always, it's interesting to look at what someone else thinks about a book I have already read. Not only does it make me consider elements that were already niggling at me to the point that I wanted to rate something lower or higher than I did on first reading, but it can help me to identify plot points that might increase or decrease my enjoyment of the book when I look back on it. I have to be honest, I find it much easier to talk about reviews in a more balanced way when there are more opinions to look through. Of course, there will always be those books that just didn't seem to attract a lot of traction online, even when they sell well enough to get sequels. And this book is maybe one of them, though it has attracted more than I thought it would. Unlike the last cosy crime I talked about, The Last Supper, The Golden Spoon has attracted a considerable number of reviews and ratings, despite having only been released in March this year. There are a total of 23,704 ratings and 4,345 fully written reviews of The Golden Spoon on Goodreads alone, which, given the genre and release date, is pretty impressive. I have to admit that Given the review numbers for the last few cosy crime novels I've looked at for being bookish, I was surprised at the sheer number of reviews and ratings available, especially as this is Maxwell's first adult-focused novel. On Goodreads, the overall rating for the book currently stands at 3.52, which is just above average. But of course, it does depend greatly on what it's being compared to. Books in the same genre, such as The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman, has a 3.90 and Death Before Evensong by the Reverend Richard Coles has a 3.37, so The Golden Spoon seems to sit nicely in the middle. Exactly 50% of the reviews for The Golden Spoon are four and five stars. 40% of people who read the book felt that it was only deserving of an average score, and 10% opted to give the novel a rating of just one or two stars. Admittedly, this is actually one of the first books I've read this year where the number of three-star reviews was that high, and one of the only books where the number of five-star reviews was less than 20% of the total ratings given. Taking a look through the lower-rated reviews, there are a few people who mentioned they hadn't managed to finish the book, which is unusual for genres outside of science fiction and fantasy. 
However, if they were having the same issues with the story as Samantha, then this does go some way to explain their reasoning. Given the length of the book and the genre, the fact that it is that is one someone didn't want to finish says a lot about how they felt about the story. Tara gave The Golden Spoon five stars and was highly complimentary about the book and the author. She said, Wow, this was fun. Full disclosure, I'm a fan of The Great British Bake Off, so I was invested in the story and characters from the start. I wanted to know who was baking what and who was being eliminated. We are introduced to all six bakers in the form of a press release giving us a quick bio that was helpful to reference the first few chapters until I got to know each of the personalities. The book begins the day before Bake Week starts filming, and if you aren't a fan of the GBBO or baking competitions in general, I can see where some might find the first half to be boring. When they aren't filming, some of the characters seem to be going off and doing what I thought of at times as side quests. Once the body is discovered, the pace really picks up, and those little side quests become the main event. This is definitely a must-read if you like cosy mysteries. Depending on your choice of entertainment, there can sometimes be nothing more entertaining than reading through a mass of reviews to see who did and didn't like your views and share them when it comes to a book. It can be that a review gives me an explanation of something that confused me on first reading because I do have a habit of occasionally skim reading when I'm in a crowded or loud room or I'm simply reading to distract myself from something I'm trying to avoid. Welcome to my current life. Being honest, this can lead to occasionally missing something that seems insignificant at first but truly isn't when I reach the end of the book. Everyone is different and what I want from a book when I pick it up may not be what someone else does. Sometimes I want nothing more than to sink into the familiar and gain comfort, while at other times I am looking for excitement and adventure, an escape from reality. Jessa Maxwell is new to the cosy crime genre and The Golden Spoon is her first novel. However, she has written some illustrated books for children and her cartoons have been published in publications like The New Yorker, so this isn't exactly her first rodeo. Of course, The Golden Spoon is her first foray into novels for a wider audience and it's interesting to see what other people thought of her writing. Sometimes when reading reviews, I do wish I had the chance to find out what went on in the mind of the reader when they wrote it. Knowing what a reader was thinking about the book and why they had picked it up in the first place would make it so much easier when it comes to understanding why they liked it or they didn't. Some reviews, it seems, are written by people who had similar thoughts. But as anyone who has been part of a book club could tell you, this does happen. If one person notices something, a character identity or a plot hole, then the chances are others are going to notice it too, though their discovery may be at a different point. However, I will always advise that you take any and every review that you read or hear with a generous pinch of salt. I am always happy to give book recommendations. Trust me, anybody who asks me, I will say, what do you like? What have you enjoyed? <laughs> it's a general conversation at the lunch, during lunch breaks when I'm in the office. 
But like everything, they are very personal. So if you've got limited time, just think about the books you've read and already enjoyed or maybe TV shows or films that you've liked. That's the first step to finding a book you'll love. Of course, there are no guarantees that any book you're recommended or you recommend to yourself is going to be a top 10 read. But sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on The Golden Spoon by Jessa Maxwell. Completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? I have to be honest, I always am. I wasn't sure when I first picked up the book and started reading. I was initially attracted to it because of the combination of baking show. I am a fan of the Great British Bake Off and make sure I keep up with episodes every week when it's on. And of course, murder mysteries, because I really do enjoy reading them. Admittedly, the beginning of the book threw me off just a little bit because the whole story starts with the death of an unidentified victim and then we travel back in time to find out how everything came about and it feels as though it takes quite a while to get back to where we started. One of the things which threw me at the beginning of the book was the fact that the murder victim didn't have an identity. Granted, I did have my suspicions and they continued to grow as I read further into the book. With every little development, I became more sure that I not only 100% knew who the victim must be, but also how they ended up dead and bleeding through the roof of the baking tent. Of course, I am not going to tell you if I was in any way right with my guesses, even if I was completely wrong. The book offers a good number of possible suspects and possible victims because, as I already mentioned, there is no real indication of whether the victim is a man or a woman. The only thing I could say with any definitiveness was that Betsy Martin and her rather unpleasant colleague Melanie weren't going to be killed because they're on the phone when the body is discovered. I have to say that I liked the way that the characters are introduced. The book does it in a way that really makes you feel as though you're about to embark on the adventure of watching a season of Great British Bake Off or any number of other baking and cooking shows like MasterChef Australia, which just happens to be one of my all-time favourites. Their introductions are very brief and read like the blurb you tend to get when the credits roll on the first episode and the contestants enter the tent. Every baker is very different. They have motivations for being in the tent, ambitions tied to winning and a reason for entering the competition in the first place. Granted, these aren't announced to begin with. Their stories are slowly unraveled as the days go on and we get to know them as individuals. Stella, the ex-journalist, is one of the most interesting for me. It's obvious that she is hiding something traumatic from her past. The anxiety attacks, the mentions of no longer being able to do a job that she once loved. She is admittedly not as experienced as the others when it comes to baking, but she is determined and does her best to improve. She acknowledges that she has holes in her baking know-how, but spends time working to build up her skills as days and months go on, obviously prior to entering the competition, which strangely only lasts a week. 
When Stella's secret, which is buried so deep in her own psyche, is finally unveiled, you realise what she was doing was protecting herself from the knowledge that she had been through something that all but destroyed her life and her career. For all that she initially comes across as somewhat weak, when more of Stella's character is revealed, you realise that she is anything but. Lottie is the oldest contestant in the 10th season of Bake Week. She learned to bake at the knee of her mother, but the learning was cut short when her mother suddenly disappeared and she was packed off to live with an elderly relative far away from the home where she had grown up. It becomes clear that Lottie has a secret of her own when it's revealed that she spent her formative years in Grafton Manor with the host of Bake Week, Betsy Martin. There is no love lost between the two, but Lottie isn't there to confront Betsy. She wants to solve the 50-year-old mystery of her mother's disappearance. Lottie is every inch the kindly older woman, a retired nurse who spends time baking for her daughter Molly and living in the past. But her appearance as a contestant on Bake Week is no coincidence. I know that I am supposed to feel something for Hannah, the young ingenue who has left her home in small-town Minnesota for the big city, or at least that's her dream. At barely 21, she has never left home before and is quickly drawn into the glitz and glamour she is promised by Betsy's co-host Archie, who woos her into her, his bed. She is clearly innocent, and though she likes to pretend she is far more aware of the darkness in the world, she has no idea, having lived something of a sheltered life. Unfortunately, with Hannah's innocence comes a lack of awareness, and though it may be that her actions are unintentional, she does come across as rather selfish and entitled. These behaviours make her a character I was longing to see eliminated from the one-week baking competition. Betsy Martin is the first character we meet in the novel. She is the host of Bake Week, the owner of Grafton Manor and the grandmother of baking, at least as far as the contestants and the TV network are concerned. She comes across as someone who believes in her own press and is sure that there is no way the show she created, Bake Week, can go ahead without her at the helm. She doesn't like the fact that the network has taken it upon themselves to hire someone to work alongside her, and worse than that, everything about her is fake. As the story develops, it becomes incredibly clear that not only is her kindly grandmother act nothing more than that, an act, but the entire foundation of her reputation is built on a tissue of lies. No one who works with her likes her. They consider her a person they have to suffer in order to get the end product. This is never more clear than when you see the way Betsy reacts to the news she is being joined by a co-host for the latest season of her show. For to her, Bake Week is her creation, her baby, and no one and nothing will interfere with its success. She considers the introduction of smarmy Archie, who is all charm and smiles, to be a, a usurper, unwanted, unneeded, and most certainly extraneous. Another thing that I found difficult when it came to Betsy and her character was the way that her chapters were written, strangely enough. For the most part, the book is written in first person, specifically through the eyes of the individual competitors. However, when it comes to Betsy, the chapters are written in third person, and this shift is incredibly difficult to adjust to when reading the book. 
I don't understand why Maxwell made this particular choice when it came to this one character. It makes little sense. But then a book with multiple points of view can be rather confusing to read at times. I know that I have only now mentioned a few of the characters and specifically none of the men are included in my list of interesting perspectives. But this is for quite a simple reason. These characters felt as though they were added to bulk out the numbers more than because they had a true purpose and added anything constructive to the story. They were mere plot devices. The victim of salt in a sugar canister and gasoline in an orange essence bottle. There were a number of really good plot developments in the book and Maxwell certainly kept me guessing. But, and it's a big one, the story was slow to develop and there was quite a lot going on that had little to do with the murder. As... (laughs) (laughs) As was previously mentioned in a review, they, they were kind of side quests. In fact, had the murder not taken place at all, a great deal still happened, including a 50 year old mystery, an unhappy reunion and plenty of secrets to be revealed. As I've mentioned, the constant changes in perspective were quite annoying and personally I felt unnecessary. Seeing the story unfold through the eyes of one of the characters, perhaps Lottie Lottie or maybe Betsy, would have made more sense. The perspective of the other characters could have been introduced using conversation or interviews. I enjoyed the story development and the revelation of character histories such as those of Lottie and Stella. It gave you a real insight into who they were and certainly gave you the impression that there is so much going on behind the scenes that you will never be aware of. Okay, so it's not likely to be a murder in cases of Great British Bake Off and MasterChef or sabotage to boost ratings, but you never know. I mean, wouldn't that be an interesting news story? Overall, The Golden Spoon is not a bad book. It has the potential to be so much better. But with some very interesting and complex characters, the story developed well and could have been even better had the focus been on one of the many storylines that were introduced throughout, rather than encompassing all of them. The backdrop of a baking competition gave it an added element of interest for people like me. I enjoy baking and though it was something that some didn't find to their taste, I would have liked to have read more about the ins and outs of Bake Week, especially the interactions between the two judges as they made their decisions. Who wouldn't want to have been a fly on the wall when Archie and Betsy were talking about who they wanted to send home? Just as sometimes as a viewer of GBBO, I would love to hear Prue and Paul talking about their choice for Baker of the Week. Will I read more by Jessa Maxwell? I honestly don't know. I liked The Golden Spoon, but there are so many amazing books out there in the cosy crime genre that I would like to read that if she wrote another, though there is currently no mention of a follow-up being forthcoming, it would probably go on my list to be read at a later date. I wouldn't rush out there and immediately open it. Maxwell does have other books out there with a few illustrated children's novels available. However, as someone who has no children and doesn't have much to do with them now that my sister's children are all edging into adulthood or already there in the case of a few of them, they are not ones that I will be looking to read. 
Unlike some of the other authors who have written Cozy Crime, Maxwell hasn't introduced us to a detective, investigator or interfering busybody who likes to solve crimes. So I'm not sure where she would go next. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. You know I am always searching for more cosy crime novels to read and I have picked up a fair number. In fact, I got another one sent to me this week by Pan and it's teasing me from its spot on the bookcase over (laughs) to my left, which is lovely. There is nothing more comforting than, especially when it's like this, sitting down and reading something and just snuggling into a cosy village environment yeah okay so there's a murder but it's more about the people than it is about the murder itself of course if you have a favorite cozy crime author or perhaps you've recently read one that you think i'd enjoy definitely send the title my way and of course if you want any recommendations give my cozy crime playlist a listen i've posted the link in the episode notes so you can check it out November is just a few days away. I can't believe how quickly October seemed to vanish. And to be honest, I am a little bit nervous about everything that November is bringing with it. Already the evenings are getting darker, the weather is growing colder and wetter, and the thoughts of getting up when the sun has yet to show its glow is not something I am happy about at all. Thanks to a rather unpleasant summer, I already have an SAD lamp, so hopefully that is going to help me a bit. I haven't actually done much in the way of reading this week. A couple of books, a few chapters here and there, and a good deal of fan fiction. Sometimes I just need to return to the familiar. But I have my first book club next week, and the book for that is sitting on my coffee table waiting to be opened. And of course, next week, I will also be getting one of my most anticipated reads of the year, Iron Flame, which is released on the 7th of November. I feel as though I've been waiting for it for ages, when in fact, I placed the order less than five months ago on the 23rd of June. With my recent book buying blip, I have worked out that in order to get my existing TBR down to the 60 I promised by the end of the year... I not only need to purchase no more books, I also need to read a further 40 before the 31st of December. In my dreams, that is possible. However, I do need to acknowledge I have limits and sometimes I actually don't want to steam through books as though they are 20-minute reruns of The Big Bang Theory, which I have also been watching of late. So perhaps, just perhaps, I need to take it slow Admit that I want to reduce my TBR, but also that I can still buy a new book if I really want to, just not to the same extreme as I have done for most of this year. I am still putting together a list of books that I would like to purchase, those that are already out, like the Pumpkin Spice Cafe, and those that are yet to be released, like Check and Mate and Tackle. Okay, I don't like what Rupert Campbell Black has been doing to Taggy, But I need to find out if he gets back on the redemption wagon or not. I do still have those 11 shelves to fill after all. 
So if you have any book recommendations, perhaps it's a new author or another genre you think I would enjoy, go for it. Email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram, where I also post pictures of my current and planned reads. So check it out and give me a follow. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. The first one of autumn went out at the beginning of October and the next one is going out really shortly. So check out the link in the episode notes to find out more. Well, that's it for this week and thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. It does help to spread the word. You can follow me on Instagram and threads as Being Bookish Pod, on TikTok as Being Bookish Reviews, where I've been a little quiet of late, but there is good reason, and on X as Being underscore Bookish, though I have also been very quiet on there of late too. Or you can check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Next week, I am reviewing a novella by Stephen King and Joe Hill with Lorraine from Once Upon a Nightmare. But I have a few books left on that toppling TBR to get my teeth into. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.